You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Hi, I'm Kent Hunter, the Church Doctor, and this is Mission Possible, how everyday, ordinary Christians like you become world changers. And this is episode number 14, the final episode. And this has been such a joy and excitement for me to share. I I tell you, I see so many churches in America that are stalled, that are aging, that are declining. At the same time, there are churches that are growing, that are, are reaching unchurched people, where people are excited. And you have to ask, what is the difference? The difference is those churches that are moving forward for the kingdom and touching lives for eternity are churches where people understand what you are listening to here and have heard in these 14 episodes of Mission Possible. And it's so exciting. It is not impossible to know, to learn, to become a missionary. And so let's get started as we talk about this issue of analyzing receptivity to faith. It is not rocket science. You know, I just feel like we got to start somewhere. So let's start with what's called the person of peace. You know, in Luke 10, verse 2, Jesus said, the harvest is large, but the workers are few. Now, you can take that to the bank. That is exactly the challenge that most plateaued and declining congregations are struggling with right there. The harvest is still large. There are people that mope around and say, you know what? I don't think people are interested in God. Everybody has a sweet spot in their heart. For God. They just don't know it. And the real issue is all of us who are ambassadors for Jesus, well, not all of us are trying to reach them. So that's why we want to take a look at what Jesus has to say. In Luke 10, verses 5 to 7, he says, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house, peace to you people. And then he goes on to say, if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. You're going to lose your faith by sharing it. If they're receptive, Jesus says, stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. You know, eat what is set before you. I want you to know I've eaten some pretty strange things in Africa and Asia and South America really strange things. But when they offer that to you, you eat what is set before you. Why? Because you're not there to offend anybody. You're there to introduce them to the king of the universe. That's a big deal. So close your eyes, hold your hold your nose, and smile while you eat it. <laughs> Love to tell you about the Mopani worms I've had in Botswana. Yeah, they're a delicacy. Uh, they're kind of a cooked... Uh, soaked in vinegar grub, if you know what a grub looks like. I'm still alive. 
Anyway, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, Jesus continues, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't know if the Mopani worm was really a part of my wages, or my, my, <laughs> my response to sharing the gospel or not, but hey. And then Jesus says, do not move around from house to house. In other words, stick with the people that are receptive. Now, the truth is, and you know it, not everyone is receptive at every time. That last three sentences, words of that sentence are really important. That last three words of that sentence are really important at that time. People are receptive at different times. So, if they're not receptive, do not take it personally and don't write them off and say, well, the hell with you, literally. No, no, don't let them go to hell. Just don't give up on them. Jesus doesn't. Why would we? So, they might not be receptive at that time. In Matthew 10:14, Jesus says, If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or that town and shake the dust off your feet. You see, too many Christians give up because when they tried to reach out, they struck out. Well, I got news for you. Nobody hits a home run every time at bat. Some people are just not ready right now. But at some time in every person's life, and truth be known, there are many times in everyone's life where they pass through a moment of receptivity. And if you're there at the right time, you are God's messenger to change their eternity by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, let's look at John 4, 34 through 35, where Jesus talks about having eyes for the harvest. Jesus said, The food that keeps me going is that I do the will of the one who sent me, finishing the work he started. Then Jesus continues, As you look around right now, wouldn't you say that in about four months, it will be time for the harvest? Well, I'm telling you to open your eyes and take a good look at what's right in front of you. These fields are ripe. It's harvest time. You see, it's not so much that the harvest isn't ripe, that, that everybody you know isn't receptive. It's that we don't have eyes to see the harvest when the Holy Spirit ripens it right before us. So, here's the key. Learn to identify the ripe harvest. Learn to identify receptivity. Receptivity occurs when an individual has certain experiences. The first one is change. When people are newly married or have a new child or a new house or a new job or whatever, they go through change. And when they go through change, many are most more receptive than other times. That's number one, change. Number two, challenge. You know, people sometimes argue about, especially unchurched people, they'll say, well, if God is God, why does he, why does he allow suffering? Why does he allow disease? Why, 
Well, he didn't allow disease. That came with the enemy. That came with the fall. But he uses that stuff. So people have challenges. A health diagnosis, a financial loss, the painful loss of someone they love who died, the loss of a job, a pandemic, political gridlock in the nation, watching the evening news, killings, disasters, anything that would challenge anybody. In my book, Restoring Civility, I wrote about this and all the things you see on the news. And I raised this issue. Why isn't 50% of the news positive stuff? It's just awful. You're lucky if you get like 30 seconds at the end with something positive. But when you live your life every day, you know there's more positive in this world. Probably 95% positive. And we can't even get 50% of the news as positive. Think about how it adds to the challenges that people feel, feel deeply in their lives. And when they do, that's the second way that people become more receptive. Not only change, but also challenges. So I don't like it that they report all that bad stuff and nothing good. But it does cause people to be discouraged, and that causes people to be challenged, and that causes people to be receptive. So if you get in a conversation about the bad news of our news broadcasts, that's a signal you might have an invitation to share Jesus. The third one is transition. When people are in any kind of a transition, for example, they worked all their life and now retirement. They were married for a long time, but now they're divorced. They went through school for a long time, but now they're graduating. Or they're downsizing. Or they're going into assisted living. Anytime people are in transition, that's the third element that triggers openness and receptivity. Transition. So we have change, challenge, and transition. And the fourth one is stress. And sometimes three or four of these are, they're connected at the same time. Let's talk about stress. Stress comes in job pressure, school challenges, economic stress, difficult family tensions, anything that shows that a person is under stress. And so these triggers God can use for you to be a missionary to that person. Number one, change. Number two, challenge. Number three, transition. And number four, stress. Hey, have you ever heard a non-Christian say, if there is a God, why are there so many tragedies in life? Well, here's a couple things to keep straight in your mind and in your heart. Number one, God does not cause these things, but God does allow them. He lets them happen. Number two, the Bible predicts challenges. This is not any new insight. The Bible predicts this. But you see, God can work in them. Look at Romans 8:28. All things work together for good for those who love God. Romans 8:28. Now, 
think about this. God cares more about your character than your comfort. Even you, a believer, he cares more about your character and your growth than your comfort. So sometimes, in order to build your spiritual character, God allows you to be squeezed out of your comfort zone. Imagine that. He loves you that much. He allows that. Does he like it? No, he doesn't like to see out of your comfort zone. Does he allow it? Sure. If you're looking to him and you're going to grow. These difficulties are actually opportunities for God through his people to provide divine hope in otherwise hopeless situations. Difficulties create receptivity. So what is Jesus saying? Well, here's what he said to the disciples. Remember this? Jesus was standing on shore. Disciples were far out from the shore, and they were fishing with nets, and they had worked all night and caught nothing. Zero. And Jesus said, well, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And they probably thought, dude, you're not even a fisherman. We are experts at this stuff. And we've been fishing all night. Why in the world would we do that? What does he know about fishing? Well, you know what happened. <laughs> they got so many fish that they they could they it about broke the nets. And yes, they learned something about Jesus. So there's are some mission principles about this idea of being fishers of men and women. So here's the deal. Jesus called us to be fishers of men and women. And if you fish, what you do is you look for the closest fishing pool. So you need to think, well, who's in my fishing pool? Not everybody, that's for sure. But think of yourself as a fisher of men and women. You have some fishing pools. They are your relationships with unchurched people. You have relationships with those who live in the ministry area of your church, the area around your house, around your work, around your school, if you go to school, even in the neighborhood of your church. Those are your fishing pools. And you may not have a fishing pool in Nigeria right now, unless you move there, but you have some fishing pools. Everybody does. So think about your relationships, your what they call way of life contacts, the contacts you have as you go about your life. This is your social network, and you need to work the net. Net work, net fishermen of men and women, yeah, network, work the net, like the disciples, fishing with nets, following Jesus prompting, work your net where Jesus leads you 
to those that are in your network. Who are those? Number one, friends. Number two, relatives. Number three, neighbors. Number four, people where you work. Number five, if you go to school, people where you go to school. Those are your primary fishing pools. That's where you cast the net. That's where you network. And if they're unchurched, they are fish to be caught for Jesus. So, these different areas, friends, relatives, neighbors, people where you work or go to school, are your closest fishing pools. What is not your fishing pool? It is not knocking on doors, talking to strangers, and interrupting their dinner. If you've ever met a Jehovah's Witness the hard way, you know how that doesn't work. Number two, this is not about inviting unbelievers to worship God at church, to worship a God they don't have a clue about, they don't know about. It's not to invite them to church, even though that sounds strange. It's way too premature for that. Number three, this is not being pushy. This is not arm twisting. It is not spiritual heart twisting. Not to be pushy. Number four, this is not sharing a canned outline, memorizing something that someone else wrote and sharing it like a sermon, a 10-point sermon or something. And this is not preaching from the Bible. Most people who are far from God have no idea about the power of Scripture. That's way too early. It's like feeding a baby steak, cramming it down their throat, a choke. Even the Bible is premature for people that are far from God. But these people, friends, relatives, neighbors, people with whom you work or go to school, these people are your personal Jerusalem. Remember what Jesus said? You will be my witnesses. You'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, your hometown, Judea, a little larger area where you might run into somebody on a plane or sitting next to you, or you might be in a restaurant on your vacation and find a, a, a waiter or waitress that is friendly and open and challenged by something. Or Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, that's cross-culturally. You might have a cross-cultural neighbor, someone in a different culture than you, and they may become friendly, and that is your Samaria. And finally, Jesus says to the ends of the earth, the truth is if Jesus calls you, to Asia, you should go. <clears throat> if he doesn't, you should stay. But he could. Don't ever overlook that possibility. So we're talking about your closest fishing pool. Your friends, relatives, neighbors, people at work or school. Here's what I want you to do. Take a piece of paper, turn it rectangularly, like a three by five, you know, a three by eleven piece of paper, and turn it like a rectangle, and in the left hand corner put the word friends and put some lines underneath it, 
In the right-hand corner, put relatives and put lines underneath that. In the lower left-hand corner, put neighbors and put some lines underneath that. And in the right lower corner, put work slash school and put some lines underneath that. Then in the middle of that paper, put a square and put your name in that. And then put arrows from your friends, relatives, neighbors, work at school, work and school, and put arrows toward you and you toward them. And that is a way for you to visually pray for your unchurched friends, relatives, neighbors, people at work or school. So you just list those people on those lines and know that you are probably God's closest person to some of those people to change their eternal destiny through you. And so I'd tell people, you take this sheet of paper and you put it on your mirror and you or memorize it at least and put it somewhere you go every day or regularly and be reminded of who is in your fishing pools. Now think about this for a minute. How many active members are at your church? Do you know? Eh, write down a guesstimate if you don't know. How many people are usually at worship? Now, how many people are in your church's aggregate fishing pool? All your members' fishing pools together. Now, there's a way to do this. In fact, as a pastor, I did this. And I've written a book about it. But here's what you do. You ask everybody in church to complete a sociogram. You make a copy of each for the church. So everybody gets their copies made and they go into the church. Somebody goes through and they delete duplicate names, but they asterisk them as perhaps more receptive because there are several people in your church that know them. They're surrounded by people from your church. So there's something that God's doing there that is kind of supernatural. They have a lot of folks at your church that they know. They might be more receptive. But as you're taking a total, you only want to count them once, okay? What I did as a pastor is I made it a contest. I let everybody guess. Hey, when we count all these names up, Guess how many will be the number of unchurched people in our church's fishing pool? And we provided a prize. We said, whoever gets closest to the right number, the pastor, that's me, <laughs> and his wife, my wife, will take you out to any restaurant of your choice within 50 miles. We weren't going to travel to another state to take somebody to dinner, but we thought, yeah, 50 miles, we can do that. So we made it a contest, and we did. We took a lady out to a restaurant, and her husband, who had been inactive in our church for years, and I visited the home, and I couldn't get this guy to budge and become receptive at all, but we ended up taking them to dinner. True story. And, and this guy started coming to church after that for the first time in years. 
I don't know. God works in strange ways. Maybe it takes a contest of some kind with some people. Anyway, here's the deal. You can count on this. If you have 220 to 230 people that attend your church, let's just take that as an example. You can do the math with the size of your church. But if you have 220, 230 people in your church that worship on a regular basis, the sum total of those people they know well who are not functional Christians will reach a number over 2,000. That's where the fish are biting. and <laughs> That's where the people are receptive. And their friends, relatives, neighbors, uh, people at work or school are the people in your church, and they're unchurched. This is your church's mission field, your Jerusalem. Now, let's get back to you, working your net, your personal net. Okay, so you've got this sociogram, this thing with your name on it, and these four categories of people. And you've got it listed, on, and you put it on your mirror where you go every day to, to, to wash up in the morning or whatever, wherever you can put it. And you're just conscious of this. Now, if you do that, and you pray for these people, let's say while you're brushing your teeth or whatever. It doesn't have to be a long, exhausting prayer. God knows what's on your heart. Pray for an opportunity to share your own God story, what God's done in your life. Pray that God will give you an opportunity to do that with them and share what God's done in your life. I've written a book on this. Coming out, it's called the, the Amazing Power of God Stories. And it's about what we did in our church along this line. And if I was a pastor of a church now, I'd have everybody in the church read that book. Not because I wrote it, but because they need to consider doing this. They need to get, all of us as Christians need to get more sensitive to our fishing pools. So, you pray for these people on your personal sheet, and then you look for an opportunity to invite them to breakfast or lunch or coffee or whatever, and you just ask them, how's it going? And then you listen with both your ears and your heart, asking God to prompt that person to share some kind of challenge in their life that you at one time in your life had a similar, doesn't have to be the same, but similar challenge. And you'll be amazed when the miracle takes place and somebody mentions, when you're sitting there with somebody over coffee or breakfast or whatever, and they mention something that happened in your life way back when or maybe recently or whatever, that is not exactly the same but somewhat similar, and perhaps as a Christian you prayed about it and you honestly believe that God helped you through whatever that challenge was. And so you share that with the person and you say, you know, that's interesting. Let me tell you about when something somewhat similar happened to me. And then I prayed and then I believe that God really Help me through that challenge, whatever it is.
your next step, if a person shows receptivity and interest, is to invite them to a non-worship, non-Bible study event. The most effective environment is to invite them to something that's not at your church. Why? Because they need to grow in relationships beyond yours. So you need to share more about your faith, pray for receptivity and a response, and then invite them to a discussion group at a home. A low-key introduction to Christianity. In my book, The Amazing Power of God Stories, I explain that these homes where a few Christians meet and they bring these kind of people that show receptivity to that home, whether it be once a month or once every two months or whatever, twice a month, it doesn't matter, just once in a while that you do this, we call them send centers. Send the centers. The word send means mission, and these are mission centers, but we don't want to call it mission and freak our guests out. But we invite them to a small group thing of other Christians. And during that time, whoever the host is, asks some of the Christians to share one of their recent God stories, what God has done in their life. And now these people that you brought here, someone else, who says they have a God story, and they begin to think, whoa, there are other people that have God stories. And that helps and encourages them to continue to seek God. And so at this gathering, you have fun, you have fellowship, you have food, and a few God stories are shared, and you are beginning to introduce them in a soft and real way to Jesus. Remember when the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, you talk about the end times. When will the end come? Next week, next month, couple years? What's going on here? And Jesus says, look, it's going to be a long time. There'll be wars. There'll be earthquakes. There'll be famines, pandemics, whatever. But these are not the signs of the end of the time. Then Jesus says, this is the end. When every group of people, every language, every tribe, every group, every community, every person has heard the story of Jesus and has had the opportunity to respond. You see, God is not savage. He loves people. He's not going to cut people off because they haven't heard. His only judgment is on Christians who don't share. That's that's the challenge. But Jesus does say, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to whole nations and people groups everywhere. And then... And then the end will come. Matthew twenty four fourteen. Do you believe that? If so, you understand. All history is built around reaching people for Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if non Christians don't get it. 
It is built around reaching people for Jesus Christ. You and I and other Christians and our churches are at the epicenter of history. It's all about reaching people. The sun will rise in the sky tomorrow. Why? Because God wants some more people saved. Every day is a new opportunity to be a witness, to share your God story with someone in your social network. You see, Jesus died so that you can live to tell his story. Don't be discouraged about the Christian movement. It is the most powerful, longest-lasting movement in history. No movement in all of history has had greater impact. Hospitals, orphanages, schools, the arts, literature, education, health, living standards, commerce, stability, peace, happiness, fulfillment, Oh, and did I mention eternal life? Nothing comes close to the movement that we get to be a part of. Nothing. There is growth of Christianity all over this world. Africa, south of the Sahara Desert, is becoming substantially Christian. South Korea, several of the largest churches in the world are in South Korea. There are churches there that have 100,000 members. The former Soviet Union, even in the fall of communism, there are young people that are on the streets preaching Jesus. I've been there and seen it. There are churches in theaters and halls everywhere across the Soviet Union. They'll never report it by the government, but it's there and it's growing. In South America, particularly Argentina and the Pentecostals and people throughout many places of Central and South America, you see growth. In China, there's the underground church. You'll never see a report about, but it's happening. There's an awakening and a revival in Europe today, especially in England and in Scandinavia. You won't hear it in the news. You won't see it on television, but it's happening. There's an awakening, a revival in Australia, the place where Hillsong is just amazing church in Sydney and in other places, and planting churches all over the world. It's just amazing to see what what is happening with the Hillsong, not Hillsong Church, but Hillsong Movement, and many others like it all over the world. There is a quiet but growing awakening and revival in America, and, and even in some of Canada. There are pioneering churches. There are mega churches. There are house churches. There are churches now, multiplying churches. It's just amazing what God is doing. Don't believe the skeptics. And if your church is not growing, it's not the only thing that God is struggling with. Because God sees lots of growth. Lots of people becoming Christians. So look in a mirror and declare out loud and say the words, I am a missionary. You know, it used to be you had to move overseas to be a missionary. You'd have to learn a whole different language and sleep in a strange bed or on a mat or on the ground. You'd have to eat strange foods or go without running water. And you'd get strange diseases. And I've seen it where people buried their kids because they got a disease because they were missionaries in a foreign country with a disease their kids died of that doesn't even exist in their home country. I've been there and I've seen that. 
in the Kalahari Desert in Botswana, where I visited missionaries in southern Africa who buried their kids in the backyard. Well, their risks are not as big for you. But you can do this because there is a mission field in your backyard. Now the mission field for you is so much easier. It's still way over there far away, but it's here also. It's here where you can take a shower and go to a movie. You can watch football or Netflix. Uh, but make no mistake, missionary work is still work. So ask God for perseverance, and he'll give it to you. Why wouldn't he? This is the opportunity. This is the privilege. This is the value of eternal destiny. You are an ambassador for the king of the universe. Get over your insecurity. You are an ambassador for the king of the universe, Jesus. It is like the man I spoke to at Nassau when I was there. He was in the restroom. So I just asked him, hey, how are you? Good morning. What do you do here at Nassau? And he said, I'm helping put a rover on Mars. Then I noticed he was the janitor cleaning the restroom. But he was helping put the rover on Mars. Doesn't matter what role you play, it's that you play the role and you know the goal. You are a carrier of a Jesus epidemic. You have a holy infection. People catch it from people like you. You are the church, the bearer of light the light of the world. You are a follower of Jesus, the hope of the world. You have the hope of the world. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for this series and the opportunity to share the wonderful world of being an ambassador for you. I pray, Lord, that you will work deep in our hearts, deep in our lives, Lord, motivate us and move us to be the missionaries you call us to be. And we will give you all the praise and honor, and we look forward to seeing you one of these days, Jesus, face to face. But until then, we'll cast the nets for those around us. And all God's people said, Amen. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Ken Tunter's new book, Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master, available at Amazon.com.